huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Let's rock! Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green and Christian Motzka. How are you guys doing? You're doing great. Yeah, yeah. we got some snow. Yeah. Did good. you? A you little got bit some of snow. snow too, though, Jamie. Didn't yeah, we you? got my parents who live in the high desert here in California. They got like two feet. Like mm. it doesn't no. happen. It doesn't happen up there. It'll snow sometimes. I'll show you a video later on. But yeah, it was crazy. And up in like Idlewild, which is not far from big bear or wherever they got like 10 foot of snow the first they haven't had that much snow since the 80s it's been pretty crazy man Idlewild and big bear rancho cucamonga these names <laughs> these names are just just amazing you should drive the five to um san francisco see the names that you see on just like weird names like buttersnitch or <laughs> i'm serious i'm serious it's the weirdest thing uh you gave me a, a transition jamie did you realize that did I? Because okay. we got some names to read tonight, okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. And these names are not weird; they are amazing. And we are closing up. We're recording this on February twenty eighth, the final day of February. This was the most successful Patreon month we have ever had, which is just amazing. So thank you so much to everybody who joined this month. I'm going to read your names super quickly, and uh, and we and we just as of today got somebody else. So I'm going to go through those names, and I want to say if you're a patron who's been on the fence. And looking to join right now is an amazing time because we've just started posting some exclusive behind the scenes stuff that we are doing on the short film shoot in terms of shooting miniatures, doing some, uh, you know, of the of the post-production work. And there's going to be quite a lot more updates coming out on the way to Alien Day. And we are only sharing the bulk of that with Patreon. So if patrons. it's something you've been thinking about, patrons. I call them patients on the last show. Um, worth sharing with you if you're a member. So without further ado, here are the names. We have Marshall Lewis, Andrew Dayish, who is our number 100, Nawan, Kevin Selinger, Adam DeJanes, Jordan Nash, Austin Williamson, Joshua Holko, Zarnald Quigley, and Max Farnell. And Max, you are our, our final patron of the month. And, uh, and Zarnald you have a great name. I don't know if that's if that's really your name or not, but I love it. And uh, and we're gonna say it anyway. Sounds so like thank you so much to everybody. It does. Yeah, it sounds like an alien. But hey, <laughs> no no judgment on that. You know. Well, Patrick, don't you know what Zardoz is from? This Ghostbusters? No. Let, what tell that? him what Zardoz is from, Christian. Well, this you know? is Sean Connery's most yes. amazing role. Yes. Where he's got the red V. <laughs> sort of suspender <laughs> outfit you, you know what we're talking about it's it's a weird australian riff on the wizard of oz zardoz coming from oz but 
oh my God, you need to, you need to stop right now and Google Zardoz. Uh, <laughs> your life is not complete until you see <laughs> the very hairy. Um, oh my God. And like Leah, like little skimpy leotard. Not what, even what, what movie is this? What, what it's is called, this? It's just called, it's called Zardoz. Zardoz. Oh, it's called. Z- yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have not heard of this film before. Okay. That's some homework for you. <laughs> I'm surprised, Patrick. That's shocking to me. Although you are 12. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a child. Uh, who's very um, old. So we are here tonight to discuss a very controversial topic amongst the three of us, but also amongst fandom. And it's something that we've been, I've been, but we've been discussing for probably a year or so, at least like kind of, should we talk about this? Um, sh- how, how should we talk about this? It's divisive. It's uh, it has some bad memories for some of us. It has some good memories from, for some of us. It's frustrating for probably all three of us. Um, so that topic, of course, is Blomkamp's Alien, the film that was never made, but feels like it was made. And this announcement was first made in January of 2015, from what I know. Also, I just have to uh, say that I got some help from a friend of ours, Aaron Percival from AVP Galaxy. I had some questions about timing and dates, and he supplied a lot of that for me. So thank you, Aaron, for that. Um, But we just wanted to jump in and kind of talk about this movie that wasn't a movie that was kind of everywhere, everything, all at once. (laughs) I just wanted to jump on that for a second to say the AVP Galaxy website is such an amazing resource. And for this film in particular, because it is so visual, uh, because of the there, there was all of this pre-production artwork that was leaked, and it's all archived on that site with the dates and, and the order that things came out. So that is really a good place for people to go to learn more about this. Oh, yeah. And, and just for many other things, too, if people listening to Perfect Organism, for one thing, aren't also listening to the AVP Galaxy podcast, you should make sure you do that. But you should also go to avpgalaxy.net and participate in the forums and make use of the incredible archival stuff that Christian mentioned. They also have like all the film scripts. They have just an amazing abundance of resources for alien fans. So, um, yeah, thank you, as always, Aaron, who's a familiar voice on this show as well for the help putting this together. So I want to set this up right now for the three of us. And I don't know, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I mean, we kind of mapped it thanks to Patrick's idea. I mean, I had floated this idea of talking about this film for a long time, but Patrick kind of broke it down into three groups. I don't know if it's going to be three full episodes, but we'll see. But my, my first question for all, for both of you guys is when this landed, when you first heard about this, where were, where was your headspace? What did you think? Your first thoughts? So I went back and had a look because at this time, you know, this would have been January of 2015 is when the first group of photos showed up online. And the way that it happened was that Blomkamp put them out there saying, the studio never requested this and I'm not doing this project. It was a very weirdly, you know, passive voice kind of a thing. And I was mostly active on the Aliens Legacy forum and uh, Willie Goldman, good friend of ours that runs the aliens He first posted the story there and I was the first person to respond to it. And I, I said something to the effect of, wow, Ripley and Hicks, damn. And it was just sort of this, 
the idea of seeing those characters brought back was was just I struggle with it. I struggle with it a lot, actually. I may be the only person on the podcast tonight who actually still likes this idea. So yeah, I was I was right there. And I but even even so, I feel like even my response, there was a pause of like, wow, is that what we want to do? How about you, Patrick? Uh, there's actually a video of me on the day that that announcement went up. Um, cause I was look, doing the same thing. I was going back towards like, what, what was I, what, what was my headspace? What was I up to? And the video, unfortunately is from just before I was at a at breakfast with friends and with Jude, who was a one and a half year old at the time. And, uh, and then I remember specifically getting back from that brunch and going home and seeing this and, um, feeling it, it must've been the first or the second day of January, 2015. And feeling so conflicted because the way it was positioned was already confusing. I mean, so keep in mind, as Christian was saying, Blomkamp posted this to Instagram, right? He posted some of these these very beautiful pieces of artwork to Instagram with this disclaimer saying that this is not happening. And then a disclaimer on the disclaimer saying it wasn't actually the studio that wanted me not to do it. It was just I had other stuff that I was working on. I thought Blomkamp was just making chappy, which is what he was doing at the time, right? So I, I was already in the space of like, why would you, why would you, it, it just felt positioned weirdly. And it put me in a headspace of like, what, what actually are we getting with this project? And that's a headspace that I really have never left. I, I have always been in this place of, there is so much interesting about this. I think Blomkamp as a filmmaker is obviously such a creative force. I think that there is, I think that this probably would have been the most financially successful route that they could have possibly taken for this franchise. Um, and it, seeing that Sigourney Weaver was then on board with it, I was honestly starting to think like, maybe this could work. And I hadn't even really considered the story implications for this yet. And that it would be reckoning Alien 3. That took me like days to even think of, because I was just in this headspace of like, wow, what could this look like? And then I was like, oh, that would mean things would look very different. And the moment that that really sunk into me was the moment that I decided I was against the idea personally. Um, yeah. Jamie, what about you? So for myself, I, the, the, I think the background is important in terms of what we were coming off of as a fan, as fans of the alien series, namely Prometheus. And there was a deep kind of sigh of disappointment from Prometheus. I being one of those people who just felt like, as beautiful as this movie was, as as many ideas as there are in the film that are interesting, beautifully designed, everything. It's just, it looked so good. I was ultimately unsatisfied with it. It was really disappointed. And that's coming off years of a fandom feeling disappointed film after film. Even though we love Alien 3, there was still disappointment there for that. There was disappointment in terms of how they ended the story, how they killed off Newton Hicks. So. Knowing all of those things, feeling disappointment, and when it was announced, kind of formally, informally, whatever, I was ecstatic. Christian mentioned something very important, talking about seeing Ripley and Hicks again. That's a powerful thing, those two. By the end of Aliens, they are just so emotionally powerful characters that have spoken to me all of my life, like Newt or Newt Hicks, well, Newt too, but Hicks and Ripley have sat in my headspace, in my emotional headspace all of my life since I've seen aliens at least. So the idea that I could see them again, it was beyond expectation. And like you, Patrick, I wasn't really thinking about alien three. I was just kind of like, Oh, okay. This sounds great. But then I got to a place where I was like, I don't give a shit. Like, okay, I love Alien 3, and that's great, 
but I was I've been so disappointed in the what they've released in terms of resurrection, the AVP films and Prometheus. I felt like even if this is a misfire, we can still see Space Mom and for all intents and purposes, Space Dad again, you know? Like I was like all on board this. So when they announced it, um I was th- ecstatic. Also knowing that maybe this film was going to be the film that brought fandom back together again. So that's kind of where I was at the time. I want to just note as well, and I've said this on on the show before, but I've already in my brain held a separate place for two different, you know, a divergent path coming off of Aliens because those original Dark Horse comics written by Mark Verhaden were so good. And um, I felt they were they, they were mature and complex and they satisfied for me where the story could go forward without Ripley for the most part. And Alien 3, as much as I love what it does for Ripley's story, I still I have a, a real problem with what it does with uh, Hicks and Newt. And so the idea of a film at least taking care of the Hicks part of that, possibly the Newt part too, because later on, there was art that looked like Carrie Henn that was released anyway. But so I've already had this, I, the ability to, to compartmentalize where the story goes next. So having a film added to that wasn't a problem in theory, but as, as Jamie was said, just said, if, if the goal would be to unite fandom, that's a very hard thing to do when you're creating a choose your own adventure with a film series. And I also, I was thinking like, what else was going on? in film in 2015 and like why did this not land with me the way that i would have thought that it would have landed with me and two movies came to mind both of which came out in 2015 the force awakens and jurassic world right these were two movies that were franchises that i care a shitload about obviously star wars more than jurassic park but i absolutely love jurassic park where they had the original cast coming back in some ways, you know, in some some forms and the and characters related to the original cast coming back to, you know, reignite a film franchise that had felt stalled out. And I remember greeting The Force Awakens, honestly, very negatively at first. I actually liked it when I saw it and then went on to not like it very much after that again in the years since. But what initially I remember thinking about that was like, this is such a vast universe why are we focusing on the same handful of people over and over again so when i saw sigourney weaver in this artwork in her alien suit i had this real sense of like how many times is the same person going to have to do the same thing over like how many airlocks can she jettison aliens out of in her life like why do we have to keep doing this like hicks and newt you know are characters who mean the world to me and christian i think honestly that the dark horse comics similarly gave me this nice little interior alternative headcanon for them especially for newt who goes on to be really protagonistic in some of those series So I was kind of happy having them there, but it's like now they come back again and now all of them have to face aliens all over again. It's like, does anything else happen in this universe or or is it just people, is it the same group of like six or seven people just stumbling into aliens all the time and having to find a distress beacon? Now that brings up another point, of course, which is that Covenant, the film that we ended up getting instead of this does repeat a lot of story beats and does copy a lot of things and does feel very much like sort of a force awakens treatment of alien right it's like kind of updating the story and doing a new spin on it but it's more or less the same structure 
And Covenant was, of course, way more divisive probably than this Blomkamp movie would have been. Because the reality is, is that for the three of us having respect for Alien 3 and for Jamie and I loving it in a very deep way, like most of the world does not give any shits about it at, like, at all, including the people who made it. Like everybody is like, let's just forget we, we did this movie. It also brings complicated feelings for Michael Bean for me, who is to this day, one of my favorite actors. I think that his run from the early 80s all the way through to Tombstone and things in the 90s, like he was just about as perfect of a protagonist in a movie as I could have possibly asked for. Just turning in great performance after great performance and blockbuster after blockbuster with James Cameron and with others. And I feel like um, a real narrative has kind of come out about his career, which is that he had all of this potential and all of this early success. And then he kind of stalled out a little bit. And for me, when I look at Alien 3, I see the beginning of that unraveling. It's not like an, he didn't like plunge in, into addiction or something, but the unraveling of the momentum that he had. And I know Alien 3 to this day is a huge sore spot for him. And we've seen that with the likeness battles and we've seen that with other things as well. And I'm sure that's part of why he hasn't come on our show yet is it's probably an extremely sore thing to talk about. And I'm sure that the legacy of Aliens for him is not a very positive one um, in some ways. And I think that Alien 5 or whatever this would have been, for, for Michael Bean would have been the deal of a lifetime, right? This would have been what Avatar was to Sigourney Weaver, but even more dramatic than that because Sigourney's career never died off. It just was a little slower for a while. But Michael Bean's career really disappeared from popular view, and this was kind of a way out of it. And um, so I, ha I have obviously a lot more thoughts than that, but I'm just, I'm, I'm laying out some of the complicated threads that were going through my mind in 2015 to try to kind of get back to that headspace. And then to why it was, to me, painful that this kept getting regurgitated every six months for three or four years because things would get reshared or concept artists would put things on Instagram or Twitter, and then everybody would bitch about it and argue about it, and then it would disappear again, and then people would get angry when Covenant came out, and then it would disappear. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's a very complicated topic, and I'm sure tonight's going to be a very complicated conversation. So. What's interesting is listening to you speak about that and talk about Bean and his career and how complicated it is. I would agree with you wholeheartedly that there was, well, first of all, yes, this would have been a huge career boost for Michael Bean. No doubt about it. This would have brought him back on track, whatever track that is he's looking for with his career. Because really, since The Mandalorian, I don't know what he's done, if he's done anything since The Mandalorian. And that was season two, right? So that was like two years ago. Um and I know he does a lot of conventions and uh, I would imagine he, you know, he, I remember reading excerpts from him, excerpts from interviews saying, this is going to happen. They're doing this. He was ready. Sigourney was ready. And I, honestly, I was ready too. even, and I almost, I almost got to this place where I felt like, I don't care if it's shit in some ways. And I know that's blasphemous, even for me, like, because this has got to be better than everything else that we're getting. That's that's where I was at. Like, this has got to be better than Prometheus. You know, uh, the first Alien versus Predator film is better than Prometheus. Like, you know, this has got to be better than Alien Resurrection. This has got to be better than everything that we've seen since then. And honestly, and we'll probably get to it eventually, it wouldn't have been. It probably would have been worse, knowing what we know of the story. But there was, this was like a lightning rod. So. 
with what was going on with fandom and you guys obviously were there everyone was seeing what Blomkamp was releasing and what his his you know his conceptual artist friends were releasing and i think uh alec gillis was even talking about that he had had conversations with Blomkamp. things were really rolling and it was a shot in the arm to fandom that we could have never ha- have expected but number two it was a shot in the in the arm to fandom that invigorated fandom like i've never seen before the idea that we were going to see ripley and hicks back on screen and then newt you know possibly i don't know whoever else bishop probably um like i'd never seen fandom that that excited and to this day people still say they should make the blomkamp film all the time i see that now i know we'll eventually get to the story and we'll get to the idea you know, the consensus that it wasn't, it was a good thing that the film wasn't made, but at the same time, seeing fandom all together excited for this, this, whatever it was going to be was the kind of excitement I, I could only dream about. And it was such excitement that I started perfect organism because of that announcement. That's why we're here right now because of that announcement. And I thought again, seeing Ripley on screen, Ripley was such an integral part of my youth my teenage years aliens was such aliens was glued to my heart almost every day from like 14 to 18 like i watched it almost every day so seeing that version of ripley back again it was like the unthinkable um it was almost too good and obviously as we know it was too good it it didn't it didn't eventually happen but what what was curious and as we move it along in this conversation was that it seemed like it was it was just a pipe dream for Blumkamp for a minute, and then it was actually oh no, I'm meeting with executives from Fox, and then it was oh it's on, and then it was Ridley Scott's producing it, and then it was other things, and we weren't sure, and it was a back and forth. So, and it started to string fans out, essentially, like or string them along, I should say, um, string string fans along, or yes. Yeah, is that right? Is that right? Am I saying that right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so fans were strung along with these announcements over and over and over. And then Ridley Scott would would say something in an interview. James Cameron had things to say, said he had read the script and it was gangbusters. Other people were saying there is no script. There was no story. People still say that today, that there was no script. There is no story. It wasn't, there wasn't much, but people who kind of know, but they also don't know. So it was this really weird thing that by, by the end of it, if there is an end of it, I mean, certainly eventually it was canceled for sure, but we didn't really know about that for like two years. I just want to make a quick comment about the Michael Bean situation, which in part is where, where Blomkamp was working with Sigourney Weaver on Chappie. And remember this is all before Chappie was released, which I think is very interesting he says that he pitched an idea or he mentioned an idea to Sigourney about wanting to make an alien film that was completely separate from these characters. And she's the one who said, no, 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 let's bring Ripley back and give her a proper ending so that she was the reason he, he created this version of it. But he talked to her, had her blessing. He had this art made. He didn't talk to Michael Bean. So he's using Michael Bean's likeness to promote a project that he's at the same time saying isn't actually happening. The studio never even looked at it, blah, 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 which is in a weird way, again, this, this, this abuse of Michael Bean's likeness that keeps coming up as part of the narrative that once it looked like it was happening, of course, Michael Bean was excited. And, but he never saw a script as far as we can tell, he did not know. He made some comments about 
what the casting might be for, for Newt because it'd be such an amazing role. And then had to walk it back and say, no, I, I don't actually know who's being cast or how the story's working. It was just, I feel like it was a very public and somewhat embarrassing situation that didn't even have to happen. If one phone call had been made, it was almost like there was this presumption on Blomkamp's part that because he had Sigourney Weaver on board, everyone else would just follow. But speaking of people he had on board, he definitely was working with ADI, Studio ADI. And we all know if Studio ADI has a good director, they put out fantastic work. You can look at Tremors, you can look at Prey, and you can look at the original Alien 3. But he also had Sid Mead. Sid Mead worked on Elysium with him. And so the idea of a sequel to Aliens bringing Sid Mead back, it was such a fascinating possibility. So, but again, even when it looked like the studio had actually approved the film, it was delivered in this weird, he, he, he put up a piece of H.R.D. Gear's artwork on Twitter and said, looks like this is going to be my next film. And then I think it was the Hollywood Reporter uh, confirmed that, that he had signed something. But where was Fox? Where was the, you know, the actual official announcement of any of this? And so, yeah, it, it, right from the get-go, there were always questions and there was always this doubt just kind of built right into it. And yeah, there were articles in the Hollywood Reporter. There were articles in Variety magazine saying that 20th Century Fox, as it was known then, had signed on the dotted line to get this thing made. And this, I think, is also interesting. So this is post, this is pre-2016, which to me was like the big tipping point in terms of the internet and people being aware of misinformation and how things spread and how it's easy for, you know, quote unquote, fake news to get out there. And I feel like before 2016 and before the contentious elections and the Brexit and all these big social things that were going on, we were much more naive to that. And I think this is a great case study in that because from Neil Blomkamp's perspective, he's in post-production on Chappie. He became friends with Sigourney Weaver. He told her Alien and Aliens are his favorite movies. And he's got a whole studio of people working with him, including you know, contacts with Sid Mead, for example. And he's like, you know what? We could probably do this. And Fox thinking, hey, you know, Chappie hasn't come out yet. We don't know how that's going to look. But well, this is the guy that did District 9. You know, he's brilliant. Um, 20, Fox, it's probably looked like a great idea on paper to them. But again, Fox had no, like there was no clear direction to this thing. It was just people talking and then saying, oh, no, maybe, okay, if we get things in order, yeah. Okay, Ridley Scott will produce it, then it's going to happen. Oh, wait, if Ridley Scott's producer, then that means he has yay or nay votes on things. And he's probably going to vote nay on this because he wants to do his own project. Like all of this stuff was happening out of order, but it was all happening in public. And I think that's part of what's so frustrating about this whole thing. Because then you have people like Michael Bean, Christian, you're absolutely right, who had no agency in this thing whatsoever and was just being, you know, brought around like he was, uh, you know, being towed uh, in the wake of this whole thing that was going back and forth. And then I, I just want to say something else that has made me really resent this project is that. It became the whipping post for Blomkamp's other failures because in the years since this came out, Neil Blomkamp has proven himself, in my mind, definitively, this could be controversial, to be kind of a hack, like a one-hit wonder, in my opinion. Because everything else that I've seen of him since, which is only two movies, I have thought were ap- actually, ap- like, literally bad movies, like actually bad, bad films, with some interesting ideas, but really bad, lackluster execution. I think the Oat Studios project was kind of cool, but like we saw an infinitely better version of that with, with you know Love, Death, and Robots, for example, which takes this whole short concept and just blows it out of the water. 
And in the wake of those things, we have at least off the top of my head, three failed public Neil Blomkamp things. We're not supposed to know about these. For one, that's something else that I want to say. We're not supposed to know when this happens. You know, these deals fall through in Hollywood daily, constantly. There are constantly people who say, oh, it's greenlit, we're moving forward. And then they hit some hurdle with something and it doesn't happen. And we don't know about it because it's a huge embarrassment to everybody involved because it shouldn't be out there in the public until it's actually, you know, queued for production. And there is a studio, there's like literal, you know, shooting space and locations are scouted and permits are signed and shit is happening. But we had Blomkamp go on to have Halo fall through. We had Robocop fall through. We had all of these projects that he was publicly falling through on. And for all these reasons, that ended up always being somebody else's fault. And what came up every time that happened was Alien 5. And people would be like, well, he should have been able to make this Alien movie. Like That would have shown them what he could do. Like Then it would have been great. And every time I read that, I was like, you really think the guy that made Chappie at the same time that he would have been in pre-production on this alien film would have done a good job. That to me is part of where this painfulness comes from with this project. It was, it, it lost a sense of importance or specialness. It was just this thing that like, Oh, well he should have been able to do that. It became less special as a result of being an excuse for him. Every time something fell through. What was also happening at the same time is this announcement of this project by Blomkamp was eclipsing the sequel to Prometheus. Like people were, people were not happy with Prometheus. Phantom would then became rabid in the best sense possible about an alien five with Ripley and Hicks. That's where all attention was turning. And you could see in interviews or here at least infer in tone. He did definitely did some um, on-camera interviews, but with Ridley Scott, like he was not okay with this. It was not something he did. Prometheus um, Prometheus did some marginal money. I think it made $126 million uh, domestic. And I think globally it made like 400 million, which isn't bad, but it wasn't a ton of money. I think the, the budget for Prometheus was about 114 million, something like that. So it didn't make a ton of money, but it made a little bit, but it was clear that sentiment of, of that film wasn't great. So Ridley Scott is before this announcement, he's talking about Paradise Lost or Paradise, which would be the sequel to Prometheus and talking about going in the back way and meeting up to Alien, which nobody really knew what that meant. He threw Ripley's, Ripley's name around and people were like, oh, okay. And so hearing him talk about the uh, talk about the sequel to Prometheus, people were kind of excited, but confused because Ridley Scott's he, it's kind of hard to parse what he says sometimes, honestly, uh, the, uh, as he, as he does interviews. So then you have Blomkamp's film coming along, announcing it, dropping, not just an announcement, but you're dropping um, conceptual designs, all sorts of things. So then all attention is turns away from Ridley Scott, who is essentially for all intents and purposes, the father of this IP, he started it. I mean, him and Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Giger, I mean, they are responsible, obviously. Um, but no one was talking about Ridley Scott anymore. So then, during this time, eventually before it's canceled, you see language around whatever the Prometheus sequel 
is going to be. That language starts changing. Um, and they start trying to say, oh, no, it's going to be like aliens. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. And they weren't these full sentences. They were just hints here and there about because there was so much fervor for Blomkamp's film, which I thought was interesting. And then, of course, we eventually got Covenant, which was made in reaction to, in my opinion, the Blomkamp news. So it was also kind of all over the place. It was a little bit of what Scott wanted to do, but he also felt like he was throwing in fan service, which was the aliens, which kind of came out of nowhere. As we've discussed before, no one was really talking about the aliens and needing to see them. They just wanted a good film. So I think it's important as we discuss this to realize that there was a power struggle going on there. Um, and also, as I mentioned earlier, Blomkamp got, essentially a boost from James Cameron. James Cameron went on record and said the script, the story, I think he used the term script is gangbusters. I could be wrong. Please don't come after me. I'm wrong about stuff all the time. Um, so he has that going for him. He has essentially the, the director of the biggest alien film in the franchise saying, this is going to be awesome in his own way. And so then he's moving on with that momentum. Um, and again, it's eclipsing anything that Ridley Scott's going to do. So it, it almost seemed doomed to me in a way. James Cameron though, he has this interesting knack for uh, giving a boost. Like he said something very, very similar about the first AVP movie about how it was fantastic and the best sequel since aliens or something like that. And even when, when covenant came out, uh, he went to see it and they asked him afterwards and he said, well, you always go see a Ridley Scott film, no matter what, you know, just sort of this damned with faint praise, honestly. But I, I even feel like he had something nice to say about resurrection. He just, he, he boosts the whole franchise, whether he's involved or not. So yeah, you know, he, I'm sure he liked the look of what Blomkamp was doing. It, it very much would be flattering, I think to him because it has, all those designs have a very avatar kind of feel as well as an aliens feel. It's got that James Cameron uh, technical quality to it, but I do believe he said script. And so I always have wondered about that. Um, Ridley Scott had a funny thing to say at one point though, when he was very dismissive about the bomb camp film, I think it was after it had already been kind of squashed saying that he thought it'd be confusing to audiences to jump from uh, a prequel to a sequel and back to a prequel again, which is really funny to me because at the exact same time we were having uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, then jump to Rogue One, and then jump back to Star Wars Episode Eight, and fans were fine with it because there was context. So Ridley Scott, not clear on context. For for somebody who prides himself in being such a straight talker, I feel like Ridley Scott is not an easy person to understand with a lot of the interviews that he gives. Cause it really, yeah, it feels like um, it's, it's hard to know what's really going on under the kind of tough talk that he gives. Um, I do think that like, so with star Wars, for example, right. There was a sub brand, there was the stories, right. Which is kind of how they couched that. I think maybe that could have been a cool way for the Blomkamp film to have gone. If it had been kind of like a sub brand of alien where it it's like an alternate reality, like what if, or something, Maybe that could have worked. I don't know. Maybe that could have worked. But James Cameron also then later said that he would like to make another film. And that was another moment where all this shit came back up. You remember that? It was like 2018 in the in the wake of Covenant. Somebody asked if he would still do it. And he made no mention of Neil Blomkamp. He was like, yes, I still dream about making an alien movie. 
And then everybody was all ablaze again and all the fucking concept art got shared again. And they're like, look at this project. Look what he said about it. Neil Blomkamp should do it. Um, but D- District 10 is coming out. So we got to wait. And now it's been four years later and just District 10 is still nowhere. So like, so this whole thing is trapped in this miasma of people half talking in public at each other. And I think that, um, you know, to, so I, I guess a question for both of you is, do you think that there actually was a script? I do not. I think there was a story treatment written while Neil while Blomkamp was on the back lot finishing Chappie with Sigourney Weaver. I think that, that they like hammered something out and they were like, let's present this as a pitch. And I think Fox said, oh, that's a really good pitch. Like, let's talk about it. And Blomkamp was like, well, I'm going to go right to Instagram with, <laughs> with that news. And I think that's how this whole thing started. I don't think anybody signed anything. I don't think there was a script. I think there was maybe a four-page treatment that was written that was a story outline. And to me, that's what people are talking about. But then again, for somebody who has overshared everything that he's ever worked on or not worked on, especially not worked on, where is this thing? Like, if he really wants to start a publicity campaign, release a story, you know? Like get or at least part of it. Get, release the beginning of it or a character sheet or something. Give us give us something else to work on, instead of this like very casual relationship with it. Which again, and I have to get out of my own like angry nerd way on this. But I think that's part of what's bothering me is the casualness with which this keeps coming up. It's like oh we'll make it happen. Oh it's not going to happen. There's some cool artwork. Oh well I don't know what Ripley's coming back. Yeah she's got an alien suit. I don't know whatever. Oh here's some other artwork. Ah we probably wouldn't have used that. But and that whole it's just like. So, so part of why I love Covenant so much and part of why I still do is in spite of all of its myriad flaws, which we've done many episodes devoted to, and I wholeheartedly agree with, there is a seriousness at the heart of it to keeping it along the lines of Prometheus as an exploration of ideas that might not necessarily be popular. There is in the Bombcamp film, a little bit of a Star Wars sequel streak that I feel kind of uncomfortable with because to me, there's a difference with, so with star Wars, there's something fundamentally comfortable about it. Right. I know Christian, you were just playing Savak with your kids today. Right. Um, Like this is a major, a major thing in our household is our family relationship with star Wars because it is comforting and it is reinforcing of things that children enjoy and adults enjoy. And it's just a great time, but alien to me really should never be comforting in any way. And the the second that I saw Sigourney back in that outfit, I was like, no, like don't do like aliens should never be the easy way out. That's part of why, as anybody who listens to the show for years knows, I always ask people if they're an alien person or an aliens person, because to me, those are two totally different ways of looking at this. And I will always be an alien person personally, because I think exploring those dark ideas that are kind of hard to wrestle with and not finding an answer that comforts you is more true to the nature of the film and the story that O'Bannon created than this idea of like, we can, we can triumph or we can conquer or we can destroy. And the more you give people comfort, like the more you bring characters back who were killed off, the more you give people the drop ships they know so well and the technology they recognize. And the more you give them, you know, there's a drawing of a queen rampaging through what looks like a Japanese garden or something. Like the more you give people these things, the Jurassic Worldification of this franchise, to me, the more diluted it becomes and the less true to the nature of, to me, where it really started, which was O'Bannon's idea. I'm going to want to push. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Jimmy, you, you push back. No, you push back. Oh, first. we push it. Oh, we push it. <laughs> you, so it's it's like a Rorschach test, though, Patrick. Uh, we we all have seen these images and we're all bringing our own biases and our own hopes and dreams and desires to this where you're seeing something hopeful. I'm seeing 
incredibly haggard and depressed looking characters. I see Hicks wearing a suicide vest. I see um, what, what may be Bishop stuck to a wall in, encased in alien goo. It's really unclear. Um, if you want to see it like Jurassic World, which I do not like those movies. So um, I can see how you'd be like, oh God, that must be what that is. That must be the ultra pteranodon thing that's going to attack them. But if you, and, and you mentioned earlier, how many times can Ripley kick an alien out of an airlock? Remember, this is taking one away where this would only be the third time. And there has been a 35 year gap. So wherever we're, wherever we are meeting these characters and reuniting for this story, all of that time has gone by and we don't know what they've been doing. And I think that that is actually a more legitimate place to reintroduce Ripley and Hicks to the alien threat. than you wake up from cryo, you, you get your new briefing, you go out and, and fight the aliens and you knock them out the airlock again, rinse and repeat. It, it actually creates a, a better saga that way. It, it, I, I do feel though there's the the risk of it becoming as it already has in the, in the normal films um, you know, the Hatfields versus the McCoys with Ripley versus the alien. And I don't like that. I would much rather have brand new characters, but I don't think that we can completely discount what this story would have been when we haven't read it. Now, my source says there were 20 pages for all that that's worth, not four pages, but not a full script. I hear 20 pages. What do you hear, Jamie? So I don't, I've only heard from sources. I didn't hear a page count. I just heard that they read over a, essentially a, a brief, a long, um, you know, a, a, essentially a, a Bible for the story. Now, do I personally think a script exists? Absolutely. I believe that Neil Blomkamp, after he talked to Sigourney Weaver and she was on board, he went back and probably wrote that script. It's somewhere. He wrote a script. Now, whether that script was turned in, whether it was given to, I don't know, even uh, Guyler and Hill, who ha had to have been involved. Um, they, you know, Brandywine Productions have have produced these films over the course of, you know, 40 plus years. Um, I don't know if the script reached them, um, certainly as years have gone by before. So Guyler passed away about a year or two ago. Before he passed away, they were doing their own alien five pitch in fact you could go on their website and it said alien five which also people are like what brandywine productions alien five what is this about and it supposedly involved ripley as well i don't really know i don't know where what that script is from but i certainly agree that there are i certainly believe that there is a there is a script now to patrick's point why hasn't he released this script why hasn't he released this story that's weird to me but before I continue on that point, I, I this is what I'm going to push back on. And I don't, even though I agree with everything that you said, Patrick, I also feel like as a fandom, we've been going through such PTSD since Alien 3. For me, I was kind of like, we need a win. We need something comforting because look at this shit. Look at this. Some great, some good ideas packaged in really beautiful packaging and bows, but everything's just kind of fallen flat. Not just fallen flat, it's been a disaster. It's been, um, people are angry over it. I mean, arguably, people are more angry over Covenant than Prometheus. I see a lot more people who love Prometheus than I do people who love Covenant for whatever reason, even though I think Covenant's a better written film in some ways. Um, I do feel like fandom at large needed something to feel good 
about. And I'm not saying the film needed to be like, oh, this happy story and look, everyone's together. Like the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World films, they're shit. They're schlock, like schlock. The only good one of the Jurassic World films is the first, but that's a complete rehash of the first Jurassic Park. I enjoyed The Force Awakens as well, but it's a beat for beat rehash of a new hope. I mean, obviously that there, there are differences. Obviously there's other things going on there, but when it matters, it is a new hope. I did not get that sense from what I know of Blomkamp's film, but even still, I just felt like we need some comfort. We need Ripley back on the scene to kind of right the ship for better or for worse. Now, the question is how would that have sat in fandom if it, if it was a shit film? Because if it was a shit film, and I think you've said this before, Patrick, it would have might've done worse damage. Like they brought Ripley back and this is what they had her do. I mean, I have that problem with alien resurrection. They bring a version of Ripley back and she's just nothing. She's just, she has a couple of interesting scenes and she's just this, this hanger on, you know, she's just this stowaway and it just completely did a disservice to her, a version of her character who was essentially Ripley, but just different. Um, but all of that being said, I still believed that Blomkamp's film was something we needed desperately. We needed a win. We needed something to um, bring us all together because those prequels, I mean, and there was the time you'd go in certain groups and you would be thrown out of those groups. If you liked the prequels, you would be, you would be, uh, stupefied and belittled publicly for liking the prequels. You know, I mean, I'm not any big fan of the prequels, but I also don't think that you should humiliate people for liking them. That was happening to you, Patrick. That was happening to tons of people um, where they couldn't even express an opinion, whether they liked or disliked the prequels. And even still the people who say didn't, who disliked the prequels, there were groups that they were not welcome in because we love the prequels here. So shut up. You know, and you can't be here. So this is where fandom was at the time. So the Blomkamp film was like this beacon of hope in the middle of that. Like we can leave the prequels behind and we can bring Ripley back and reset the clock. Now, and if you're going to do that, you're going to have to do that in the right way. But the conundrum is, and the wall that that it's facing is something that we were both, ta- all three of us were talking about earlier, is what happens to Alien 3. Now, I love Alien 3. It is my favorite of the franchise. And I will always feel lost at the end of that movie when you hear Ripley's voice for the last time and you see the big, that big like uh, plastic curtain or whatever over the the EEV and you just hear her voice and it just slowly disappears. And, and, you know, and then then all of a sudden it's the end of the film. Like I I miss her every time I see that. Um, I want to see her back, but I think that's what good storytelling is. That's how you end a story. You end it with feeling a little bit wistful. You end it with feeling a little bit of loss and we feel lost because we were, um, we were invested in her as a character. There's no character like her. There, there will never be now. Blomkamp's version of Ripley would have probably been, probably been a Ripley. We would not have liked, I, I would guess. And Sigourney Weaver would have chosen it possibly. And who knows, maybe we can ask her this at some point. Um, she might have chosen it based on a couple of scenes and not the the full script. I don't really know, but I do know in the in those couple of years, I was fervent about this belief that we needed a win. We needed something to make us feel good, something to bring us together. Now, slowly over time, fandom changed, and people's attitudes towards the prequels kind of quieted down, and it's very uh, 
diverse fandom and a very loving and compassionate fandom, depending on where you go. But for the most part, uh, depending on a couple of groups here and there, but for the most part, it's a pretty great place. Um, but I, I think fandom was desperate for something. And so that's kind of where I, I, I settled for a while. Man, there's a lot to unpack in that comment. I feel like I'm not going to hit all of it, but I, I, I think what you're, you've brought up a number of really good things that I, I think we need to make sure we address, which is first off that we don't know what movie we would have gotten. And like Christian was saying, this whole thing is a Rorschach test because we see in this unfinished film what we want to see in it, right? So when I see it, like I see a, a film made by the guy that did Chappie and Elysium and, you know, and I, I, I see this movie that I think would have been bad that had too much. And I say this as an enormous Sigourney Weaver fan, obviously, obviously, but I, I disagree with some of the creative decisions that she's tried to make in her producer capacity over the years. And I can see this potentially having been something else where decisions with a really important character would have been made that would have been a little bit hard to swallow. And I, I do want to say though, to me, I, so I love aliens, obviously I, I fucking adore that movie, but I really adore it as an adult because alien three exists. If aliens existed and then the trajectory of the series, which again, this is a Rorschach test. We don't know what the story is about, but if the trajectory of the series had been the nuclear family is okay and they love each other and they triumph over evil and they come together and even Bishop's still there. If it had ended with that arc of hopefulness, to me, it would have really cheapened aliens because I think aliens works so well in context. And that's part of why it's such great art. You know, I don't like the Avatar movies very much. I haven't even seen the second one. But a big reason for that is that there's no context for that story. So it feels very kind of just, it's like just James Cameron's greatest hits, which is like uplifting action, but there's no weight to it at all. And Aliens, because of the weight, because of being anchored by Alien and Alien 3, the things that buoy it really feel important to me. And then Ripley's ending, which Jamie so beautifully summarized in Alien 3, has such a depth and breadth to it. It's such a serious loss. As opposed to Hicks and Newt, whose loss was, I think, bothers every single person and, of course, was just a, a remnant of the Ward script. And that's something that we we can't do anything about. So we just have to kind of accept it. Um, and then we're left with this idea, like, what if that was erased? And what if we got another movie that kind of kept going where Aliens was and had this, once again, a narrative of Ripley and her buddies fighting aliens again? And the aliens were Rorschach test, spoiler alert here, but in my personal opinion, treated as disposable the way that they were in Aliens, where they have they have ammunition and they have artillery and they have technology. I mean, we know that they have some of this because we've seen concept art. So it's, again, fighting hordes of aliens off like a comic book movie. Um, I don't want, I just don't want that. Like what I want is the Fede Alvarez movie, which seems to be a, a really small self-contained, like that to me, yeah, that's fucking Alien 5. Like it's a movie that from what we know of it, is a self-contained narrative that captures some of the initial themes that we love so much about the movie. And it doesn't have to be part of this huge franchisement of the whole thing. And just my last thought in this meandering comment is that to me, like I, I am fed up with franchises. I'm not even going to MCU movies anymore. I'm really like, I'm really just done. Like I, I don't need all this shit, you know, and I don't want alien to be franchised. And to me, the Blomkamp movie was a major move in that direction because it was like, hey, everybody here, maybe maybe it's because it was a win, Jamie, honestly. Maybe it's because I see what you're saying 
And I think that you're right. I think it kind of would have been a win and it would have made this a much more broad appeal, you know, avatar like film that to me would have taken it further away from what I really love, which is like the dark, difficult, semi nihilistic heart of alien that is all the more beautiful for the light surrounding it. And I think that's to me, but when I look at Blomkamp, that's kind of what I see. You mentioned, you know, the nuclear family and the happy ending and all this stuff. And I, I always want to push back on that because you end up with a traumatized child, a mortally wounded man, a destroyed droid and Ripley who's holding it together for all of them. That's all you have. And there's no promise that a sequel is going to show them 10 years later, 15 years later, whatever, as a happy functioning family. We have one image of Newt as a grown-up looking a lot like Carrie Hen, and there's no, she doesn't appear in any of the other artwork, leading me to believe she's not, there's never a plan for her to be a major part of the role of, of the of the story, that she would be there for a scene or two, maybe, you know, delivers an important piece of information, whatever. There's also no indication that Hicks and Ripley have stuck together in any way. Um, and again, I'm I'm applying my own lens to this because I see it as not only a bleak movie, but also a finality that Ripley and Hicks were not going to make it out of this film either because Sigourney Weaver wanted a proper ending. Alien 3 is a sad woman who doesn't want to be there dying in a very bad place. And any, any significance you give to that about how she saved the world, a lot of fans like to say Ripley sacrificed herself to save the world. Based on what? She killed the alien that was inside her. There, there could be other aliens out there. In fact, and, and this is something that Blomkamp was clearly thinking about, the derelict ship potentially is still sitting on LB-426. In some of the artwork, we see either another derelict, if you're Ridley Scott, or the derelict, if you're Blomkamp, and we have to get rid of that. Get rid of that, you get rid of the aliens. So I, I still feel like, whether it's a win, like Jamie said, or not, the point was to finish the whole thing, to make the sacrifices of these characters matter. And so I, I, I don't know. I don't see it as a, I don't see it as a romp. I don't see it as a feel good movie. Um, yes, there were definitely going to be the guns. He, he was definitely hitting, you know, certain points, but instead of saying fan service, what if that's just continuity? What if that is the connective tissue that allows this franchise? I hate that word. Oh my God. That allows this series of films or this saga to feel connected. And that's something where other, other series of films have allowed themselves to share uh, more of a visual language. And Alien and Aliens have it a little bit. Aliens and Alien 3 have it a little bit. But ever since then, we have just wildly diverted. And I also have strong hopes that Fede Alvarez's film will actually go back to some of that, that language. And to that end, I just wanted to mention 2012 is an important year for Blomkamp because that's when he first started having his ideas for this film. And this is the, the pre Sigourney Weaver um, storyline. And I think it's because like a lot of us, he was dissatisfied with Prometheus. You know, he talks about 2012, 2013, he was thinking about making an alien movie. And I think it's because he went to the cinema just like us, but also he played video games. 2012 saw the release of aliens, Colonial Marines. It's a terrible game, but what does it do? It brings Hicks back. It doesn't do it very well. It's super clunky, but there's Michael Bean getting a paycheck. So we're all in favor of that. But I can imagine Neil Blomkamp sitting there playing that game and saying, yeah, I want to do something. I want to do this better. I'm going to take this idea and expand on it. 
And the next year we got Alien Isolation. And we know for a fact that he played that because in an interview he said, Isolation reminded him that you have to go back to that clunky cassette futurism kind of look because that's something that made the first two films so good. And the video game really brought that home for him. So again, there was the possibility moving away from Prometheus of getting a film that looked and sounded and felt like the original two films. And so I'm always going to fight for it because until we, until we definitively have a script that tells us what was happening in this, my belief is that it actually had some really good ideas. It's, it's, it's going to divide fandom. And I think you look at the, look at the most recent Halloween films. You know, we, we trot out Jamie Lee Curtis one more time. This time she's a little bit crazy. It ignores so many of the previous films. And you, so you fracture your, your uh, continuity for the sake of saying, no, 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 this time it'll be good. Come and see it one more time. And then they make some sequels that make it bad again. So this film. All right. What do you guys think? So uh, I, I think it's important to note as we continue this discussion, and I'm, I'm certain we're going to have to do a part two, obviously, because um, we're getting close. What was going on with Blomkamp's career at the time? So yes, um, Blomkamp made an announcement, sort of made an announcement. He didn't make an announcement. He started dropping these things. He Then there was an announcement made. But what was happening at this time? Elysium released, and it was critically panned. It didn't do very well in the box office. I saw it in the theaters. I thought it was beautiful the first time. And then I saw it a second time. And I remember leaving Elysium. I was so angry. I was enraged after I left Elysium. The story was so bad. It was just white savior saving ethnicities from other white people. The only guy who can do this is a white guy played by Matt Damon. Now, the, the movie was beautiful. The 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 tech, the the effects, it was gorgeous like it was so well done jody foster was in it um she was played somebody who was living in elysium you know the 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 big space station in the sky um there was i was so excited about elysium after seeing district nine i just was thinking this movie is going to be the shit and it, it unfortunately was shit um despite it being so beautiful so that is what blomkamp that's what his legacy is at the moment and then Eventually, Chappie releases, and it it completely tanks, completely. And I saw Chappie in theaters as well. I don't know if you guys did, um, but that story was sh- terrible. The writing was terrible, and it was clear. What came into focus was that uh, Neil Blomkamp had trouble with scripts. He had trouble with a good story. Neil Blomkamp started off as an artist, much like Ridley Scott did, but Ridley Scott really got um, focused into storytelling and knowing what good storytelling was, at least in the earlier part of his career. I don't think the case can be made for that now. Um, but Blomkamp then had two films that were critically panned, panned by audiences, not well attended, and didn't really make any money. And then eventually in 2020, I think he released his horror film called demonic in 2020 demonic which was somehow even worse than the the other two that you just mentioned yeah well demonic he also funded with his own money like he did a bunch of things and like he used like almost two million dollars of his own money to fund demonic i never saw demonic i was initially excited for demonic for a little bit thinking hey he needs a win i'm all for it i want to see it and then some close personal friends saw demonic and they're like don't waste your time so i didn't I never saw it. Um, so I, I think as 
it's really, really important as we continue to have this discussion to know that fans know, that listeners know that Neil Blomkamp has trouble. He has trouble with storytelling. You do not want someone who has trouble with telling a good story working on an alien film. Point like period. The, the, at least in, in in my in my perspective. Now, I have to say, for transparency, even though I knew that at the time, my vision was clouded by seeing Ripley again. Uh, yes, I knew that that um, Elysium and Chappie didn't do well. I didn't really care. I just wanted to see Ripley again. So it was completely clouding my judgment. And of course, at this time, years later, like two or, two or three years later, Patrick's aboard PO, we're having discussions about this. And I'm still sort of clouded in this idea that I, I need mom, I need space mom, I need some comfort. Um, but realizing that not only were his last two theatrical releases uh, flops and they didn't do well, um, his 2021 release didn't do well. He had been attached to um, RoboCop, the remake, then dropped from that. He was also attached to, what was the other one, Patrick or Christian? That yeah. other one, Halo? So Halo, RoboCop. There was also this Tom, uh, this novel by Tom Sweeterlish called The Gone World, which is yes. another sci-fi thing that was supposed to happen that never happened. Yeah. yeah. So there's this string of projects he's he's attached to that have just fallen apart. And again, this is the person that's going to be directing the next alien film. There's trouble there. There's trouble in that forest. That is not someone you want um, headlining or directing an alien film with top tier talent like Sigourney Weaver and Michael Bean. Again, I wasn't in that space where I'm like, okay, this is probably not a good decision. I didn't come to that place until probably when 2018, Patrick, you would think maybe 2019. That's how long it took me to get like out of that. I want Ripley back to see like this probably wasn't a good idea. Um, but I, I just, again, for the people who are listening to this, who were pining for an alien five, this was the best decision that never got made essentially. Um, and I don't think, and there's a, a an excerpt with uh, Blumkamp and he is being interviewed by Joe Rogan and he's talking about his alien five project and he doesn't really go into too much detail. I mean, he does go into some detail, but I don't know how else to say this, but he was whining the whole time about it. And every time he's talked about his projects or these things, it's always someone else's fault. He never takes any ownership of anything. And I think it's important as an artist, when something fails, you take part in that. Even if you believed in it at the time, even if it was your best effort, you have to be able to say, you know, I loved this. I loved the process, but it didn't work. And I need to figure out why it didn't work. That's how you become better. But Neil Blomkamp's his whole, and I mean, and if anyone like wants to write in or whatever, or if Neil Blomkamp is listening to this, like if people have different ideas, if people uh, think that we're wrong in this, certainly please tell us. Um, but for my, for my money, all I heard from Neil Blomkamp was wine, 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 wine after this. They didn't want to make it. They, it could have been a great film. It could have been this. It could have been that. But of course they didn't make it. Look at your past successes. You haven't had any. And Oates Films, the Oates Studios, whatever, that was interesting, but I don't really know what exactly he was. his point was with those. They didn't get a theatrical release. I didn't know if he was... I had heard he was doing those films as a way to essentially um, showcase his talents to studios in terms of his effects house, like what his effects house were doing. That's how 
these were essentially pitch short films. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? Is, is that? The no. Case? Yeah. It was a, it was a proof of concept thing. And yes. the idea was that fans could pick what their favorites were and then they would make them into movies. But Oat Studios is another failed venture, right? Like the only thing that has come out of it, other than just that little closed, that walled garden of films you can watch on their website or YouTube is Demonic, which was not an Oat Studios movie, but it was produced by, because he paid for it, by Oat Studios. So the only actual Oat Studios imprint is on this, I mean, abysmally bad horror film that came out a couple years ago. So again, it's it's like, yet another, and it was crowdfunded now so that, because they're doing like a subscription service for Oat Studios. And I'm like, what, what is he do? What is he doing with this shit? And I, I, and I know it's not my turn, but just, just something else as you're talking, I was thinking of is you remember in 2017 right before covenant came out he released the the title of the movie do you remember what it was going to be alien awakening oh yeah he did this in the fucking press right before alien covenant came out and it was this and and i remember that specifically because that was the moment where i decided i was angry about this because i'm like we finally have momentum there's like something coming out of all this thing it's ridley scott it's going to be exciting to at least be there again and then you have right in the month or two leading up to the release of this movie this whole twitter fucking war breaking out again because he's like oh wait wait a minute you forget about me from two years ago because this is what the title was and here's some more artwork from it and then it became this whole circus again you know christian what are you gonna say i'm 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 surprised by that because alien awakening was the name of a short film that fox actually sent a cease and desist to so i i I, my understanding was that blomkamp was calling it alienation one word i don't remember ever hearing alien awakening so i have heard him i have heard alien awakening but i think there might be some confusion patrick because ridley scott uttered awakening during an interview with with Catherine Waterston and he says it and she goes, no, don't say anymore. You can't say anymore. That's the only time I've ever heard alien awakening mentioned. So hmm. for those, I'm going to do some hard hitting journalism while you guys are talking, I'm going to, I'm okay. going to find the source of this. <laughs> I could be, I could be wrong. And again, the, something else for listeners, like tonight is not a debate. Like we are, it, we're kind of picking, picking different sides of this, like quote unquote argument. But I want to be clear that there is no argument here because there's no movie, you know, True. This is all supposition, and it's all, as Christian beautifully laid out, a Rorschach test where we're reading into it, what we see in it, and we don't know shit. So it, it went, I, I, we're really, we really do want you to write in. I mean, if we get to a third installment in this series, we really want to focus on that and how this sits within fandom and what you have to say about it. So please do write in, but please don't think that you need to win an argument like don't make this contentious don't make this this whole like i I just i'm so fed up with that personally with this idea of like you know i know what's best for my franchise and i'm going to win this fight about it because the reality is is like it belongs to all of us and we all see in it what we want to see in it and like i and i'll I'll be quiet well so i can go do my journalism in a second but i want to be clear that i would love nothing more than to get a Neil Blomkamp film that would fucking win everybody over where everything would be perfect and it wouldn't make the other movies feel out of place and it wouldn't feel too droll and trite and perfect and circular. I would love to have this thing prove me so wrong. And I promise you that I would be the first one to say, oh my God, I was so wrong. I can't wait. I'm going going back tomorrow and I'm bringing 10 people with me. Like I would be all over this fucking movie. I just, again, I'm arguing from a place of not having anything but what I'm reading into it. And, and what I read into it makes me feel like mad for some reason. And I think I'm, I'm kind of articulating some of the reasons why. Okay, I'm going to do research. 
All right. So I own a used copy of Chappie that I got for maybe $5 and it's sitting on my shelf and I've never watched it. I just, even though I love Sigourney Weaver, even though I love District 9, even though I'm a huge Deontfort fan, I just put those things together and all it looks like is Short Circuit 3, first of all, or Short Circuit meets Police Academy. And I just, I couldn't do it. Um, That Fox didn't, no, actually, you guys have given me some context to this. Fox never should have even seen Blomkamp, let alone greenlight anything until they had seen the, the box office numbers. Let Chappie come out before you you sign this man on for anything else. Because they had to have known while it was being made that it was a risk. You look at any of the artwork, any of the behind the scenes stuff, whatever. Um, it, it has a lot of his iconic imagery with the, uh, with the technology. And there's that um, South African sort of Zeph style that, it, they, that he brought to it. Um, but it, they had to have known that it was a risky thing. So there's that. Also, the the Oat Studios. All he needs is a good writer. I think he's I think he's a, a a perfectly serviceable director visually, and I think that he has a real knack for um, capturing sci-fi visuals. But he cannot write. And there's one of of the creature in it. People call it jazz hands. It's like a, a sci-fi thing. There's, this creature has all these different hands so it can open doors. And there are about a dozen concepts shoved into this this film where only one concept was needed. It's a short film. The concept is there's this thing that can adapt and and add body parts, but instead there's this whole thing about, is this girl um, synthetic or a replicant, or is she a human that's been sold into slavery? It's like, fuck off. It's just, it's too much. So he just needed to be a little bit quieter. And the last thing I wanted to say is it's really too bad that dark horse doesn't still own the rights to aliens because the perfect place for the Blomkamp script to resurface would be in that series they were doing of alternate scripts. The amazing work they did on Alien 3, the original uh, draft of Alien, you could have put Blomkamp there. And the Alien 3 in particular, I think was especially great when it was then adapted into a radio play where they brought in Michael Bean. And so we could have had that thing. We could have had a version of it that would be accessible for people, but doesn't take away from the film franchise. Damn it. I said it again. The film saga that we're used to Jamie Patrick. Yeah, guys, I just got back from the newsroom. Uh, I have have some (laughs) things to read. Uh, So I have a quote from Ridley Scott. And again, as we have now pointed out numerous times on tonight's episode, a lot of this confusion is not just Neil Blomkamp's fault. It's also Ridley Scott's fault because he says things that can be interpreted in multiple ways. And it's hard to tell, but he did an interview with IGN right before Covenant came out. So this is May of 2017, right? Covenant's about to come out. Blomkamp has just tweeted about his fucking movie again at the beginning of the month. Scott is being interviewed by IGN, and this is his quote. I'm not going to do his accent. They said, they wanted to do Alien Awakening, Neil Blomkamp. I said, fine, I was going to be the producer. If I could have, I would have, except I do question, why have both Blomkamp's and mine out there? It seems like shooting your big toe off. It doesn't make sense, but they didn't go forward with it, Fox. So I just kind of kept out of it. I mean, I literally ignited this thing to bring it off the ground again because it was lying there dormant on a shelf. I had this thing to bring it back up, but here we are, unquote. Of course, the other reason why we know Awakening so well is because that was going to be the intermediary prequel between 
Covenant and Prometheus. So there was going to be a Scott movie that was also titled Awakening, which was part of his whole grand plan to arc all these things together. So I don't know what really Scott is talking about. I don't know if he's confused about what the Blomkamp thing was going to be called. It could have been, I've also heard the alienation thing too. So maybe that's what it was. I think honestly, so I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to retract my statement. I do think that the awakening thing was a mistake and I'm going to figure out. How Actually, I think you're right because uh, Blomkamp went on record and said, I ha I had to change the name of his film, but he wouldn't oh. say that he went on record saying he had to change the name. So awakening was probably to your point, what, scott was going to use Maybe that's later on yeah yeah so it, it's so interesting and to see again you have the the what do you call it the the roll up the run-up to alien covenant like uh fox was doing promotion and there were trailers and there were short films and there was all of these things happening but at the same time what was trumping all of that was the fervor for blomkamp's film so it was it was it was like eclipsing all of that excitement, which is so interesting. So I could imagine Ridley Scott in an interview, they're talking to him about Covenant, but people want to know about Blomkamp. Like that's where everyone's focus is attentioning. And then eventually it got squashed. But I also, I also have to, I don't think during these discussions that we're going to have, yes, Blomkamp was problematic in his storytelling and, you know, his what he was coming off of in terms of his films, his short films, Oat Studios, all of those things that we've just discussed. They weren't they weren't casting him in this great light. But Fox at that point hadn't notor has notoriously hired directors based off their visual style, not based off their storytelling abilities. And that's exactly what they did um, with David Fincher, they're like, oh, he's got this arresting style. Let's hire him. Now, Fincher happened to be a great storyteller, and they wouldn't really let him tell his story. But, you you know, then you get Jean-Pierre Genet, who they, again, is a great filmmaker in his own right, but they chose him based off his visuals. They didn't choose him based off of his storytelling abilities. Now, I'm sure that there's details there that we don't know. They're like, oh, no, yeah, we loved his stories. We loved the city of lost children. And I'm sure that they did, but they didn't realize that the tone that he set in his films was not appropriate for an alien film, as we all can see. But Fox had this legacy of choosing these visualists um, to tell these, to direct these films, and it wasn't working for them. And they were making movies by committee. And I think it culminated in Covenant, where all of a sudden, because of all of the excitement for Blomkamp, they went back and retooled and brought in more writers to kind of make it the film that people were hoping to see in the Blomkamp film that was eventually canceled. So as we continue forward, um, which we're probably going to need to do on another episode, we have to keep that in mind. That's a whole other conversation because Covenant doesn't deliver a single thing that I wanted from a Blomkamp film. We have a couple of shots of guys running around with guns as though that means anything in this film. So, and but remember, I agree. Hmm? Remember when they released the um, that one still of them exiting the, the lander or whatever. And people were like, Oh my God, Marines. And they weren't really Marines at all, but they, they started dropping these, um, stills of the film kind of building this narrative that what we're going to get is going to be like aliens. Yeah. Or one of the first shots was Daniel's um, holding a rifle 
you know, in a hallway, or there was a, a shot in one of the trailers of Tennessee, like handing out rifles as people run by, or she runs by multiple times. I don't know. Um, it was just, it was creating this, this idea of what we were going to end up getting. And instead we get flute playing. Which I do love. And that's the thing too, is that like, those are the things in covenant that I love the most, but that's, that's, what's so great about this, this <clears throat> franchise is that they're really like, we come to it from so many different angles, you know? And I think to me, the lasting legacy of this Blomkamp project is that it revealed a lot of things I think about fandom and where it was to me, but it also to me represents a lot of pain in a lot of ways. And that's something that like, we don't have to get super deep into, but there was just like a lot of bullying going on in fandom around this time. And in the wake of covenant coming out, which, which to me is, is the single most painful thing I've ever been through on the internet, that the bullying that I was personally subjected to and many friends of mine who had anything vaguely articulate. I mean, I was attacked for saying things articulate about covenant. I had de fucking death threats on our podcast from people about that, which is completely ludicrous. And I don't personally think we would have had that kind of, it would have been a divisive film. I'm not saying it would have been universally beloved by any means, but I think this whole Blomkamp publicity campaign coinciding more and more with the lead up to Alien Covenant coming coming out really positioned fandom in a place where it was like, let's get it on, like let's battle, like I'm this is what I want for the future, and it's not what you want for the future, and I'm gonna fucking bully you, and I'm gonna block you on Facebook, and I'm gonna like make publicity smear campaigns about you because I think you're shit, and it just it was so needlessly hateful, it was so weirdly vitriolic, and I have never come back. That's why. Anybody listening to the show who is looking to interact with me on fucking social media is not going to find me there because I never go back on social media. I find zero redeeming things about it. Zero. And much of that, although please still do like us on social media, because there are other people who are there all the time, including people on this show tonight who will definitely talk to you. But I, my, to me, like social media in the wake of Covenant coming out, I was like, I'm done with this bullshit. And that's a really kind of painful thing. And and so to me, like Blomkamp is like, it's like a vaguely triggering conversation. And I don't want to devalue the use of trigger because I have experienced trauma in my life that's real. And I know other people have tonight on the show and listening to this. I'm not trying to devalue this the way David Fincher devalues rape in his comments. Like I'm not saying this is actually triggering, but there is something triggering about it to me and that I feel this weird sense of like, I, I, I want to fight about it. And I fucking hate that. Like I hate that feeling. And I, and every time Blomkamp shares things, which he just did again in 2021, there was another like, oh, here's some more artwork from my alien project. I'm like, man, just like, let it go. Like, let it go. We have moved on from the guy who did all of these terrible fucking movies and ignited all of these arguments about this franchise and tried to derail Covenant coming out, which you know is, is the reason why he was talking about it in May of 2017. All of these things that to me represent the worst in humanity. Not, not the worst. There's obviously many worse things in this. I don't want to be, I don't want to devalue anything. What we're talking about tonight is just movies. It is not actual real pain. So I'm, I don't want to devalue that. I do want to say before all this happened, I was a big, big Blomkamp fan. Big. I saw District 9 many times. I think that's a brilliant film. I think he had everything that it took as far as we knew of him in the early aughts and the early 2010s to make an alien movie. As you both pointed out tonight, he was a visual stylist. He was a, an artist who could draft well. 
Ridley Scott and James Cameron, everybody has seen Ridley's Ridley Grams, and I'm sure you've seen Cameron's sketches for the Sulaco, for example, and the in the Queen. He's an incredible artist, and he can just do it. He did the drawings in the Titanic, like like he's that's his hand. He's an incredible artist, right? Um, Jean Pierre Genet as well, and David Fincher, for what it's worth, is also does amazing things with art too. Like these are all people who have a really great visual sense, and uniquely in the case of Ridley Scott, not not uniquely. Sorry, I have to qualify my language, but borderline uniquely in the case of Scott and Cameron, they're not only gifted visual artists, they're gifted technicians, right? Scott had done miraculous things with, with his production company on commercials for years. And Cameron was the effects whiz kid from Canada who everybody wanted to work with after his work on some of the early Corman pictures, right? Uh, some of his early Corman work. So like what you had was a, these, these great artists who are great technicians who love science fiction and want to tell stories. And so people were like, oh, Blomkamp is the heir apparent to that. And, and I was on board with that. And then I took a step back and I was like, how many other people are out there who are both of those things? Hundreds of thousands. That's the thing that's so frustrating is it's like we get this myopic view of what kind of talent exists out there. And it becomes like we need the chosen one to lead us out of the desert. When in reality, like there are incredibly talented filmmakers out there who have nothing to do and would just be so excited to work on an alien project. And just because Blomkamp likes the first two movies doesn't make him uniquely qualified among them to be the one to bring that forward. Sure, he's got friends who do really good concept art, you know? Sure, he made one masterpiece with his wife, who I think deserves way more credit than than she gets for, for her work on that movie. Um, but like to me, there's nothing special about Blomkamp. And the and the intervening 15 years since District 9 came out have proven that every single time he's been attached to anything that he's been working on. Because if it comes out, it's dog shit. And if it doesn't come out, it's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. Oh, here's some artwork so you can fight about it on the internet. It's just, it's just bad energy to me. So no one is owed a movie and no one is especially owed a second movie. If you make a movie, congratulations. That's great. That may be the only chance. Right. Um, and so I, I completely hear what you're saying. I think that the, Blomkamp is just made of sour grapes. He does not know how to ever keep um, any of this to himself. He has to share it all the time. And I don't know if it's from coming outside the Hollywood system or what the deal is with that. But anyway, I also think you're giving him too much power. I think that he's a whiny little brat and he didn't get to make his movie. And so someone else was making a film. And so he felt like just, you know, pissing on it a little bit, but I, I left social media for a full year just before covenant came out because I could just see it. I could just see the energy and I, you know, I left fandom, left the whole deal. Um, I remember I when you left, you don't, you do. I know I do. I remember when you left of like, no Christian, you can't leave. <laughs> I mean, we weren't like close friends or anything, but I just remember your presence on, and on, in the forums and on the, in the groups. And I just remember feeling like, I don't know. The good people were leaving much like Patrick we're, we're, yeah. were leaving social media because of it, you know, but I still, I still feel like there's Blomkamp, the man, and there's Blomkamp, the specter, the, you know, the sort of ghostly presence that we, we can build up too much. Um, and certain parts of fandom have built him up. Like you're saying of the sort of the savior that's going to come in and fix everything. And I do worry that because he was following in Cameron's footsteps, that may have been the reason they're like, oh yeah, perfectly, perfectly. He can write it and direct it, which no other director has done in this series except for Cameron. 
and no one else should, quite honestly. You should always start with a good script and then find a director whose visual style and proficiency uh, is a good match for that. But it has to start with a script. And I don't, I don't think this one, if it ever was going to be greenlit, we really don't know what that deal was. That's not where it was starting. It was starting with um, internet hype, the worst possible thing. He, he, he intentionally began a viral campaign. Although, as I said, right from the get-go, it was this weird, passive, negative, this is something I was going to do, but I'm not going to do it now. And then everyone liked the art. And so he gave us a little bit more and a little bit more. And it was like a, a drip feed for years. So alienation, we all feel alienated, don't we? Alienation is also the alienation, the, that movie, remember that came out in the nineties, right. but that's why it was going to be one word. He, he, he was, Stupid. he was saying to people, it's so great. I've thought of a way to go alien aliens and something that's equally interesting alienation. And you're oh, right. That would have been it, awful. No, it's, doesn't that it's, feel like the worst title yes. for this. Oh, I, I kind of oh like it. You like it? Yeah, but I, but I also really? I also like Alien Nation, ghostwritten by James Cameron, and turned into a much better television show after the fact. I like Alienation quite a bit, but I think I think Alien Aliens Alien Three is stupid. I just think that's a stupid progression of names. And so maybe Alienation wasn't the best thing, but give me something that adding an S to Alien was such a great idea. But where do you go from there? You mm-hmm. don't put cubed. That stupid three and add an apostrophe to it, you know. Like, <laughs> it belongs to the aliens now. You make the S a five. That's what a lot of people. Yeah, or a dollar <laughs> sign. Yeah, um, no. I, I think uh, my last thoughts for this episode. I, I think Blomkamp has been his own worst enemy, and I think to what both of you are saying, like going online and dropping this and dropping that and talking about everything. I think what he's done to himself as he's pushed himself out of the, the Hollywood system. Now, again, it's reported and he, by him that he's working on district 10 and I don't know who he's going to get to back that unless Peter Jackson steps back in, who also helped produce and promote district nine. But uh, I, 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 no matter what alien five would have been, it might've been something more interesting if he would have, not been as i don't know vindictive is the right word but again because of the lead up for covenant and because he kept dropping concept as concept art and his commentary every so often it was just kept eclipsing alien covenant over and over and over and over so by the time alien covenant came out it was a lose-lose situation it wasn't the film people wanted um in terms of the bomb camp film and it also was a film that was shifted uh in its structure to please people. And what happens when you try and please everyone, you get like lukewarm bullshit. Uh, even though there's some great things in covenant, it ended up being this lukewarm thing that people were like, eh, this isn't the movie that I wanted. And I think part of that is due to Fox caving. It's due to Ridley Scott caving and it's due to well, Neil Blomkamp complaining and you got this like cocktail and then you get this film. That's kind of the flower of that cocktail. And it, it, everyone was angry. Um, the flower of that cocktail. I know that didn't really make any sense, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, or the drink from that cocktail or whatever. That metaphor was, was priceless. It was, um, <laughs> you have to drink uh, that cocktail through a flute. Yes. Yes. And I'll do the fingering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I'm excited to, talk further about essentially the the 
even though this is this is not a, a like a mini series on Covenant, but really the reaction to Covenant is steeped in the reaction to Neil Blomkamp. You can't separate the two. Um, and I think Covenant might have been more well received if Blomkamp hadn't been on the scene at all. Now I'm not saying it would have been like a better film. Like I think the film has problems for sure, but I think if we wouldn't have had something else, like those carrots kind of dangled in our face of like Ripley and Hicks and maybe Newt, like, so we're, we're having that dangled in front of us. And then we're given a, a dinner that's completely different, you know, than what's being, what's being teased. But Fox is going along with this teasing as well. So I'm interested to, to, continue this conversation as we discuss what that was dangling i feel like you didn't eat dinner tonight or something because there's food metaphors <laughs> flowing out of you right now um i, I think that I'm you're absolutely hungry. right and I, I do think that covenant is inextricably linked with this alien five thing no matter what so it's going to come up to you know in the in the course of the conversation and it should but i do want to say if you uh, please do share your things with us and just because i personally don't use social media very much doesn't mean you can't very much talk to me via our email and via sending messages through our website, like I respond religiously to those things, sometimes in a lot of length. So please do reach out. I do want to talk to you. We all do. We really want to know what you think because we are going to be incorporating your feedback into at least the third installment of this thing if we get there. So please do share what you thought of this thing, how it sits with you today. And please, above all else, just be kind <laughs> about it. Like <laughs> you don't have to win something just because we articulate our viewpoints doesn't mean that we can't listen to yours. So um, just be nice to each other and don't, you know, just, just be the better fans that we've become and not the angry fans that we were when all this shit was coming out. That sounds good. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.